This is The Takeaway. I'm Melissa Harris-Perry. Thanks for being with us. Their metallic jumpsuits glow. Slow arm scoops into the air from L. Unawares, they reach towards each other, sculptural arms extending over their heads, safe in their separate world. Safe in their separate world. Safe in their separate world. What you just heard there is a description of a performance by the disability art collective Kinetic Light. It's the voice of Alice Shepard, the artistic director and founder of Kinetic Light. She's also a dancer. A spirals arms over her eyes. Then, as A's fist swirls, L opens her arms in a wide yet empty embrace. In February, Alice and her dance partner, Laurel, performed a chair duet called Under Momentum at Lincoln Center in New York City. In the intimate space of the Clark Studio Theater, the duo glided and danced and moved between their wheelchairs and the floor, and they used ramps designed by artist and design researcher Sarah Hendren. Here's Alice describing it. We use the ramps to leverage our bodies up and down, to ride in our wheelchairs up and down, to push hard up the hill of the ramp and glide down or fiercely attack the down. Down the ramp, up ramp two. Each ascent and descent becomes more desperate. And like then let the, the down and the speed and the torque and the momentum spin us out. It's a study in wheeled motion, in gravity and momentum, but it is also a journey in intimacy and relationship because under momentum follows the relationship of two characters. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. And an effable rocking exchange like waves lapping a beach as dancers in their chairs blow on and off the ramps. And these audio descriptions that you've been hearing, they're not just an add-on to the show, but a full and complete way of experiencing the performance for people who are blind or have low vision. It's also an experience curated by disabled performers for a disabled audience. Kinetic Light worked with Lincoln Center to provide several access points to the show. I'm Miranda Hoffner. I'm the Associate Director of Accessibility at Lincoln Center. This was audio description through four different tracks, so people could decide what perspective and how deeply they wanted to take the audio description experience. And it also really appreciated the skills that it takes for folks who are blind or have low vision that listen to screen readers and, you know, listen to podcasts at probably twice as fast as I would listen to it, right? Because they receive information differently based on the way they experience the world. There were also deaf and hearing ASL interpreters, captioning for hard of hearing or deaf folks, and haptic wires so that people could touch to feel vibrations during the performance. 
There was a quiet room for people who might become overstimulated. And there was a choose-what-you-pay model for tickets because cost is also a barrier to accessing art. Lincoln Center is meant to be a place for everyone, right? And we want to expand who we show on our stages to really reflect disability artistry. So I hope that the work with Kinetic Light is working towards this goal of really having disabled artists want to come to us and trust us with trying new things, trust us with their artistry, um, and trust that we will like honor the integrity of their work within our stages. All right, hold right there. We'll be right back with more on Kinetic Light, a disability art collective. For so many Black people, The Wiz feels like home. The new stage revival has Broadway buzzing. And as it gears up for a national tour, We'll consider the impact this story continues to have 50 years down the yellow brick road. I'm Kai Wright. Join me on the next Notes from America as we pay tribute to the Wiz. Listen wherever you get your podcast. I'm Melissa Harris-Perry, and this is The Takeaway. To the air and down with the turn. A weighted rocking rhythm up, pass flex to the air, back down, and turn, and turn, and turn. What you've just heard there is an audio description from Kinetic Light, a disability art collective that performed a dance piece called Under Momentum. The audio describes the visual experience of the performance for those who are blind or have low vision. We also have an audio description of the founder of Kinetic Light, so you can picture what she looks like. My name is Alice Shepard. I am the artistic director and founder of Kinetic Light. I am a multiracial Black woman with dyed blonde, wildly curly natural hair, coffee-colored skin. So you can imagine me in the situation uh, that I'm currently in. I am wearing a brown pair of fuzzy pants, a brown fuzzy sweater, a light gray scarf, and golden fuzzy socks. And I'm seated in my wheelchair, which is black. Alice talked to us about what first got her in to dance. So at the time that I first thought about dancing as a disabled person, I was at a conference. I was a professor and I was at a conference and I met a disabled dancer there, Homer Avila, who asked me to read text for his performance. Uh, I did. And afterwards in the bar, we were talking and spent some time together. And at the end of the evening, uh, he issued a dare, you know, take a dance class. I dare you to take a dance class. And I said, yes, because you know, we've been in a bar and there had been alcohol consumed. and yeah. <laughs> Always a good time to get a yes to a dare. <laughs> right, right. But um, six weeks later, he was dead. And um, I felt like the dare was what I wanted to honor. And so I did. And then what happened as you, as you took that dare, as you moved into dance? What caught you? What captured you? The body. I mean, there's just... No other word for it, the body. All of a sudden, when I started going to dance classes, I had a body that was intuitive about some stuff, recalcitrant about other things. And I was in 
infinitely curious about how does this body work? How does it express? And the feeling of being in my body and moving and crafting and working uh, with it every day to communicate ideas is, it's almost ineffable. It is just fantastic to be able to be in relationship with Laurel and Michael as we are on the stage, to be connected to Jaron, to be connected to the audience in this way. There is, it's incredible. The body is endless, an endless series of joys. Such interesting language that the body is an endless series of joys. Um, I am both the younger sister of a dancer, I'm the auntie of a dancer. I see my sister and my niece experience their bodies in that way. I must say that despite taking many a dance class as a child <laughs> and one or two <laughs> as an adult, I have never thought of the experience of my body as an endless series of joys. <laughs> like that is, at 50, I definitely give it an endless series of crinks and cranks and sometimes battlegrounds. Is that... those too? Because okay. I was like, really? An endless series of joys? What else is happening? Because if there is something in that that is accessible to a human experience of embodiment, is there a way that our bodies can feel more more joyful to us, even if we are not called to be dancers in the way that you are? You know, we all come with bodies. We do. We all arrive in the world, and we are in these sacks of things. <laughs> And we have to live in them and they fail on us and that is our way out of the world. But in between the arrival and the departure, it's almost as if we have to learn to negotiate, sometimes we say navigate, our own experience of our bodies. And some of that is private experience. You know, uh, by private, I don't necessarily mean uh, shameful, but we have experiences that are known only to us every day. So, for example, I am sitting here having a private moment where I am deeply aware that my hands are touching the soft carpet. What are, what are you t What are you touching right now? Hmm. I guess my hands are touching the, quite different from a soft carpet, the kind of hard metal laptop uh, in front of me. Uh, and my feet are are on a, a bare wood floor in front of me. Wow. Wow. But do you see what I mean? Like we have these private bodily experiences that we are, that we hold, right? You are here, you're touching the floor and your laptop, and I am dimly aware that I am hungry, that I haven't had enough coffee yet. These are our private bodily experiences. But our bodies live in worlds where, you know, there are systems of interpretation about the body. And so we have to sort of contour between the private knowings of our bodies the systems that tell us or tell each other uh, certain things about certain bodies, and the fact that the body is not neutral. The body is capable of interpreting the world, experiencing extreme joy and extreme pain. It demands food. It demands shelter. And, and this is something that I think dancers know, but bodies 
are also deep sources of emotion. Uh, you can be in a position and that position can change your emotions and your feelings. So if you have been in a, a place where someone says to you, oh, you look defensive right now. Um, and you're, you know, maybe you're there with your arms folded across your chest. You know, that, that is a, a position of, of defense, of comfort or self-comfort maybe, but it's a body can express and also create a feeling. So I know that certain positions, being in certain positions are positions of joy or safety or comfort for me. And so moving through those positions gives me safety, peace, joy, comfort, anxiety. Uh, the body is tremendously expressive. And so part of what I do as a dancer, part of what we all do as dancers is stop and listen and figure out what is the body communicating here? What does it mean for access to be art? So this is something that I'm going to say, and it is completely obvious. And I'm also going to say it took a long time to get there. So I'm going to say it now, and perhaps it will make some sense, because it also brings with it a second question. And that is, it's one thing to say access is art, but you cannot make that statement without then having to do something about the statement. Mm. So here we go. For the people who come to your film, your dance performance, your theater, your museum, your gallery, your whatever it is, the way that they experience your work is the way that they experience the art of your work. And people experience art in so many different ways. So there are two questions involved here. One, if access is the art, then access the art is access. You know, if I'm paying $20 for a ticket, and there aren't many venues that you can pay $20 for a ticket for, <laughs> I want to experience the art. So does it matter whether I experience the art visually, orally, or through touch by haptics? Does that matter? But if I'm experiencing it in any one of those ways, it has to be artistic. It wouldn't offer the art visually, but say and say this and have the, the person experiencing it visually be, oh my goodness, that's so gorgeous and so intense and so overwhelming or whatever it is, but offer someone who's experiencing it sonically something different, and uh, a, a, a one sentence version. Because that is how they are experiencing the work. So in many ways, it, it, it's simple. Like access is the art because those who are using access are using it as they're expecting to find art in that moment. But the real question is, if access is the art, how are you going to live in and create in those spaces? Is this the work of the artist, of the exhibitor? 
it's everybody's work. Mm. Access is everybody's responsibility. And those are the two answers to that. Access is everybody's responsibility because access is what brings us into relationship and into community with each other. So how do you make a work accessible? However it gets done, it should be artist-led because the artist knows the work. The artist created the work. So access is merely asking the artist to create, expand the process of creation, essentially, to offer the work in one form and then to offer the work in a different form. It is done only by the exhibitor or the presenter or the gallerist or whoever. That person is going to hire someone, a service provider, who's going to come in at the last minute, do their best efforts to make it accessible, but not have time to be in the rehearsal or creation process, to not really have time to understand the work. And so when we think about audio description, which is one of the things that Kinetic Light is being known for, audio description for dance is tremendously complicated, but it cannot be done at the last minute because if you hire an audio describer, that one person is faced with the challenge at dress rehearsal, say, of understanding the work, figuring out what to describe, describing that one thing when 600 other things are going on on stage. <laughs> and they can't, a single person can't do that. You know, you can only describe one thing, but meantime, all of the other things have gone on. And because it's last minute and impromptu, it's it's not necessarily going to be the same kind of experience for an audience member who is not looking for a description of the work, but an experience of the work. Absolute clarity with that. Beautifully rendered. Thank you. What is next for you creatively? So Kinetic Light is in rehearsal and development, which is all of the wild and beautiful things that happen next. I have ideas for new works, uh, but part of what we have to do is go back to the studio and try some what ifs. How can we? Should we? Um, you know, can we? Can this happen? Well, who can this happen with? How does this happen? So a lot of what the when you see a polished piece, you're seeing something that seems effortless to take us back to the beginning of our conversation. But what you don't see is that for 18 months beforehand, a lot of trial and error and stretching and experimentation is on the way. So we're filming, we're exploring, and um, we will help to bring some new works to the stage soon. Is there anything I've missed that you want to be certain that you share? Kinetic Light's yeah. approach to audio description is one way of, of doing this. But what I think we are moving towards and living in right now is a tremendous shift in the field where more and more artists are recognizing that access has to be aesthetic. And the we're seeing experimentations in different kinds of access. And I think we are growing a world where it will be a, a more equitable aesthetic experience of dance for certain, but all different kinds of art forms. 
Alice Shepard, founder and artistic director of Kinetic Light, also a choreographer and dancer in the company. Alice, thank you so much for taking the time with us today. Oh, thank you. This is an absolute pleasure. I have really enjoyed being here. Thank you. I feel the same way. It's been lovely to have you. Thank you so much.